Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this, the H2O Podcast. I am here alone in the studio, but I have a box. I have a box. I have a box. I'm not alone on the show, though. Uh, what's in the box? Oh, what's what's, in, the bo- in, the box? what's <laughs> in the box? Well, we can find out what's in the box. You want to do an unboxing? Wait a shower? minute. Where's Mrs. <laughs> we haven't seen her in a while, have we? No, um, uh, no she's. Uh, I heard her coughing on Saturday. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, no, my name is Jason Hunt, and I am Timothy Harvey. All right. So we are both here. Of course, uh, Tim's not in the studio again tonight. We're we're kind of making a habit of doing it this way almost. It just it's yeah, just it works really out. Yeah, the intent. I mean, and and hopefully, I think I I, I suspect um, the way things are going uh, uh, tonight was more of a family thing. But um, I've got a conference coming up the first week of November, so I am anticipating my evenings before. <laughs> conference being very full um but hopefully a a crazy thing happens the end of the year is my company does this really nice thing it's like they're like we're closed (laughs) yeah right go have a holiday right so so there's I'm, i'm anticipating that that right around the time that we would normally take off ourselves Mm -hmm. like not have episodes right all this free time yes um but that's when we record all the promos. There you go. And we'll and we'll brainstorm ideas for topics. <laughs> and we'll have plenty of time to think of what we're going to talk about. You know, I have spent the last week or so building my. I'm the training coordinator for my my mm. for the grant writing company I work for, and so we've been planning our 2022 schedule. Right. And <clears throat> this Thursday, the first of our promotions about 2022 and training goes out. But with all this conference stuff I've been doing, I had like three things last week that were last minute. Hey, can you help with this? You know, oh, we've got this. We recorded a video. It's not working. Can you fix it? <laughs> Which blew my it blew a whole my, it blew my Tuesday completely apart. Yeah. Um, so I spent the last week building the 2022, uh, all the web pages and all the the links to things so that we can you know people can buy stuff and. And I'm just like, I got, <laughs> I finished the last of them this morning and I'm like. <laughs> Until the next thing blows up, right? Well, so, yeah, but I mean, at the same time, I mean, honestly, you know, this is, we're not even the end of October yet. So I am, I am in pretty good shape mm-hmm. for when the new year rolls around. And I, you know, I famous last mid- words, Mr. Harvey, famous mid-December, mid-December, I flipped the switch and all this stuff goes really live. <laughs> uh, you know, it replaces the stuff on our website. Yeah. Um, it, you know, but anyway, um, I was just like, I've done a lot in the last <laughs> week. <laughs> I slept a lot this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't done a whole lot of that. Saturday, I got, I got called into work, uh, stagehand work. Uh, the local, the local chapter of IATSE actually, um, which is not going on strike, but the local chapter wouldn't have been affected anyway, because we're not in film and television over here. Cause we're doing a bunch of stuff, you know, like concerts and shows and trade shows right. and that kind of thing. Uh, 
So downtown, there was apparently some kind of a fall carnival thing. And here in Kansas City, there's a district called the Power and Light District. And, and you know, the KC Live stage, it's this, this, this outdoor amphitheater type of thing with a bunch of shops and restaurants and stuff all around it. And they had live bands performing at this thing as part of this whole big thing. So I got a call. Or I, I get a I get a message on Friday. Can you can you work tomorrow? Are you available at two o'clock? Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, what's it for? You know, well, it's it's down here at KC Live. You do the load in, and then the loadout is at is at midnight. And I'm thinking, in terms of loadouts, you know, that's when you pack everything up, and you load the trucks, and they leave, right? Normally, those kinds of things down there take three to four hours and I'm sitting here thinking I really don't want to be up till three o'clock in the morning again because I just was Friday night doing prep for good morning multiverse and so I was like well I can do the end I can do the beginning but I can't do the out so I get there and it turns out that we're not coming back at midnight we're staying until midnight because what we have to do as stagehands is swap out the bands. Ah, sure, right, yeah. And the bands are playing in two-hour sets. So I get there, and there's a 10-minute or so scramble to pull these performers off and put these performers on, and then we sat for two hours and did it again. 10 minutes of flurried, hurried work. And then we sat. And if I had known that I was going to be paid to sit all day, I would have taken my book. All right. So you, you may recall, and then we'll get to your box. Yes. It's box, our it's topic box, here. We, we start off with a serious discretion, digression here. Um, there was AMC. Remember the AMC uh, uh, announcement thing several years ago you and I worked on? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, so so AMC had a big internal announcement they were going to do, and it was going to be a live stream thing, and, and both Jason and I were, were you know, Jason, uh, actually, Jason, uh, they came to you because they normally do, and you brought me in, and it was two days and about 30 minutes of work. Yeah, yeah, because we were running the cameras for the actual live stream itself and day one there was supposed to be let's get in there we'll do a run through it never <laughs> happened on day one so we had eight hours of us just going yeah yeah twiddling our thumbs they're yeah. paying us i mean i'm here well and, and, and then it was, it was really about 30 minutes of work the next day and that's the second day so. that's one of those things where you know those those can go a lot of times they'll go just like that but there are occasions where things go sideways and it's good that you've got crew there they can actually handle oh, whatever yeah, it is yeah, that, yeah. that I mean, goes on i completely understand why you would have people around and and certainly if if, if scheduling had worked out for the folks who needed to, to finally do the run-throughs yeah um it would have been great to have those run-throughs on the day before but yeah it's how it works i mean and, you know i'll take more gigs like that so let's honest. open the box let's open, open the, the box. box so this came this came in the mail today it is from uh, old man, let me pull my glasses off here. It is from P 
Paramount Home Entertainment. Now, mm. normally when I get a box, it's usually from Warner Brothers, or it's a it's a pad one of those padded envelopes is from Warner Brothers. I usually figure out sure, like the last sure. we just got Injustice, you know, the animated thing. I have a suspicion. Did we? Are you one of those who shakes the boxes at Christmas and tries to guess what's in the box? Um, because I'm pretty good at that. No, because mm-hmm. it's a big, it's a big Christmas. Uh, uh, when we my family gets together and does Christmas, um, we're we're not great at talking to each other the rest of the year. <laughs> but around holidays, we like to, we'd like to hang out. Yeah. And um, hello, Mazeris. Hey, Mazeris. The uh, so there's actually like this like this Christmas morning ritual thing that we do. It's yeah. The youngest person has to sort the presents from underneath the tree and take them one by one to right. the other people. Um, and so we don't actually, you just, you set them down mm-hmm. and you wait for everybody else to get theirs. And then yeah. when everybody has their stash, then we can go through it. Sure. So, but you don't, no, you don't shake, shaking. you don't shake the box before uh, no, you open it and everything. I've, I've gotten to a, a point now where my sister does not like doing Christmas with you because I'll, Oh, it's a shirt. Oh, it's a, you know, it's a thing. It's a thing. Yeah, right. we don't want to do it. <laughs> All right. So let's open the box. I'm going to, I'm going to switch. Okay. Over wait, here. Wait, 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 my prediction is going to be, um, it's coming either, from Paramount, either a DVD set or a Christmas ornament. I'm going to get Star given, Trek related. Star given, Trek related. Yes, Paramount, it is Star so. Trek related. Given the weight of it. I'm going to predict that this is the new 4K disc set. How much you want to bet? Ooh, that'd be nice. But what strikes me is the size of the box for that might be a little big. Unless they've done extra packaging around, you know, where sure, right. bubble wrap and stuff, which I can give to... Uh, which I can give to Mindy. Oh, measures! I hadn't thought about that. It could be an Eagle Moss model. Um, I don't. Well, no, I take that back because I don't know that. Because we got this. Um, you can't see it from here. There's. I've got a, a a five. I have five copies of the Star Trek Celebration book that Eagle Moss just did, uh, Hero Collector, and we're gonna give those away. I haven't decided exactly the mechanism for it yet, but that those came from from Eagle Moss Hero Collector, and their address was Hero Collector. So, little sound effects there. That's not bubble wrap. That's not bubble wrap. There's a note. It's from CBS and Paramount. Yeah, this is what you do in talk radio, right? Celebrate the 55th anniversary of the Star Trek franchise with the debut of the first four films on 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray. There they are, right there. Nice. This is the series. This is not... Hold on. This is not the movies. Hold on. Well, that's very strange. Let me throw that box there. I'm just going to set that down right there, and I'm going to switch. So what this. they probably did was that they had a certain section of them where the, a certain set were the TV series, and a certain set were the, 
movies, and then they they just you happen they mixed up the it's, the paperwork. It says here, newly remastered films will also be available individually on Blu-ray, along with a limited edition Blu-ray steelbook of the complete original television series. So we have we have the part here. It is right here. Star Trek: The Original Series, the complete series steelbook, for the first time ever. The iconic Star Trek The Original Series will be released on Blu-ray in highly collectible steelbook packaging featuring every episode in brilliant high definition along with over nine hours of previously released cast and crew interviews, commentaries, documentaries, and archival materials. I wonder if the bloopers are on there. Mindy raises a good point. The angle that we were seeing you before, we really couldn't see the... the, the the yeah. thing so, so hold I will I will hold that up to the, to the thing it is Star Trek the go. original series steel books right there uh, there let me turn it around there so you know Very one, nice. there's season it's 20 discs I wonder because since they sent us this I wonder if they're also sending us the movies well, I think it, I think the, that would be very cool. I suspect they just got the paperwork mixed up. Well, the paperwork has both of them mentioned because it mentions the it mentions the original series down here because this is a big you know celebrate the fifty five years everything because it also mentions the Fathom events, mm-hmm. uh, Star Trek four, August nineteenth and twenty second. But we've already gotten past that. But they're talking about you know the whole as a as a whole thing right there. So that's that's good. I don't know that we have a 4K Blu-ray player because I think we ran into this because we got the Indiana Jones films mm. on 4K. Uh, Ultra yeah, maybe HD says Blu-ray. no. You no. don't. So that there's there's your Christmas gift to each other. <laughs> yeah. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. All right. Speaking of 4K, um, and DVDs and whatnot, um, I saw the other day somebody talking about the Max Fleischer Superman cartoons, mm. and there was a there was a a question that came up in conversations about why we don't have those on DVD or Blu-rays. And somebody mentioned that it was because they had all fallen out of copyright. Oh. And they're in, uh, apparently, I'd have to investigate this myself, but, but apparently they may be in the public domain. The, the actual cartoons themselves. Now, the Superman oh. character, of course, you know, is still maintained by Warner Brothers DC Comics, but the Fleischer think... cartoons, maybe out. Yeah. So yeah, but and and copyright is uh, arcane. It's arcane law, right? And and the thing is, it's not helped by the fact that it's arcane law. On every every country has somewhat different copyright laws. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, uh, uh, if you're familiar with the the Netflix series Enola Holmes, there was a potential lawsuit coming from the uh, Conan Doyle estate. Because they did file the copyright lawsuit. law from from 
the UK versus the US and who has the rights to this and that. Uh, and it's it's complicated. It's really, really complicated. And <clears throat> you would think that after all the time that it has been complicated, someone would actually want to make it simpler. And there are a lot of people who would like to make it simpler and have it make more sense. But there is a lot simpler. Simpler doesn't inertia. always mean you make money. Uh, well, and therein lies therein lies the problem yeah. is that uh, the copyright law can can definitely work in the favor of the folks who currently hold the copyright. Um, but you also see situations arise like the various lawsuits um, for, you know, oh, let's see, comic book companies uh, that are that you know the creators are pointing out that work for hire versus you know this sort of thing. All this different stuff. It's complicated. Yeah. Um, of course, we had the, the, the Neil Gaiman, there was the whole Spawn lawsuit and all, I mean, all those different things, right? right. I mean, it, it. This is very nice. It's, Look at Steelbook. Ooh. Shiny. Shiny. It's just, um, yeah. Speaking of Enola Holmes and Sherlock Holmes and Henry Cavill, let's talk Superman. Um,. Mazur says, I read a headline that John Williams is going to score Indy 5. Bad rumors about the film aside, that's curious as I thought Williams had announced his retirement after Rise of Skywalker. I... I seem to recall something similar, um, but I don't know if it was more along the lines of John Williams saying this was the last one, the last Star Wars score he was going to do, uh, because everything right now is all television. And by the time they get to a point where anybody's going to be making another Star Wars movie, it's probably going to be past the point where he's, he's going to want to do it. I think, I, think he, I think he's done with Star Wars, but Indiana Jones could be the last thing he does. Um... Assuming that it actually happens, I don't know. We'll see. Um, I tell you what, Mr. Harvey, why don't you vamp for just a second and kind of set things up here? I have to answer a phone call from my kid today, so let me let me grab sure. that and you do that. No problem. <clears throat> All right, folks. So the basic idea here tonight is we're talking about the concept of Superman science fiction versus uh, fantasy, and there's pretty much arguments to be made for both. Um, when you consider the the time the uh, the character was originally created, the various ways that the character has been written and dealt with both in film and television and comics, there's a very strong argument. And then, of course, you get into the question of what where's the line between science fiction, fantasy, science fantasy, uh, hard science fiction, soft, uh, soft science fiction. Where do comic books fall at all? Uh, in terms of that, because of course they exist in a world that's a little bit like ours, uh, and then with superpowers, you know, and so there's some fascinating things. Of course, at the core of Superman is strange visitor from another planet, you know, doomed planet Krypton on a rocket ship sent, you know, to Earth. So there's a whole, you know, aliens and 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 interstellar travel, you know, very much in this world of science fiction. So your starting point in terms of just basic framework obviously can sit into the realm of science fiction. But 
then i mean you're still in theoretical physics here but it's mm -hmm. it's still physics but then you have flight and invulnerability and eye beams and cold breath and super telepathy and the ability to pull off the thing on your shirt and does have he it still, wrap around a Kryptonian criminal. Does, does he still have super telepathy? I don't think he does anymore. No, no. Well, no because interesting, you know, and, and you know, you and I are around for this. It was post crisis on Infinite Earths. John Byrne comes in and he tries to make Superman. He tries to make Superman science fiction not really hard science fiction yeah. but rooted in a very much a science fiction framework the fantasy elements are drastically minimized there are re there are scientific reasons for superman's abilities right so right as you know there's well in his his you know it's been his molecular structure has been one of those kind of throwaways you know for when did that come into play? Was that um, was that Superman seventy eight when that first happened, or was that earlier Somewhere than that? Somewhere in there, because I mean, if you're looking at the, you look at the comic books around that time period, you get you know a, a, the the glorious Kurt Swan era, <laughs> where if if the, and this these were the first Superman comic books that I was actually exposed to, uh, because they were the ones my dad had. Yeah. Right. And they're, they're that very distinct, big barrel chested, not particularly well, he, he, Superman at that point didn't look like a, a bodybuilder as much as he looked like a really big guy, just a big guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the for the longest time, you know, the circus, uh, the circus strongman was the model for a lot of these, right. you know, Superman being the first one, but everybody else, you know, that, well, I mean, that's the where the costume that, came from, even. It was the thing that the the view, the reading public would recognize, because, yeah. of course, in those days, the, the carnivals and circuses were a lot more prevalent. It was a, it was a cheap form of entertainment for the family. Um, you, you had that, you had that touchstone for the audience and for, because, of course, a lot of the comics were, were geared towards kids. And, um, but there's that was also that time period where Superman had a bug head and Jimmy Olsen <laughs> turned into a different thing every week. And, you know, I mean, it was very much there was a period of time where Superman was very much a fantasy comic. Yeah. You know, you're you had it was it was a lot of magical enemies. And of course, Superman's vulnerability to magic, which in many ways puts Superman very firmly in the fantasy world because ma magic is part of the fantasy sphere. Yeah. Well, and did you see um, uh, a part of part of the whole DC fandom thing this weekend? Uh, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, who's playing Black Adam, mm -hmm. uh, he, w he took to social media addressing the question as to who would win, you know, Superman or Black Adam. And he's like, well, you have to remember... Superman's vulnerability his he's he's vulnerable to kryptonite but he's also vulnerable to magic. So there's no question that Black Adam would win. <laughs> of course he's just going out. But you know that's I remember one uh, one in particular uh, story uh it was a body swap story where uh the wizard used 
MacGuffin thing, whatever, and the sinister, the secret society of villains, the, the, the villains, the sinister society, whatever they were called, swapped bodies with the Justice League. Mm-hmm. And Wizard and Superman were swapped, and Wonder Woman and Plant Man were swapped. Um, Batman and... Oh, the big... Oh, shoot. The big... The big Hulk uh, uh, blockbuster, I think, is what his name was. Uh, Star Sapphire and Zatanna and uh, uh, Green Lantern swapped with Professor Zoom. And they're having to deal with the oh, this. And, and it mentions very specifically in there that Superman says, my vulnerability to magic is what made all of this happen. Otherwise, I could have stopped it. You know that, right. and and one was like, "Don't beat yourself up." This kind of thing's happening. He's like, "No." Well, it's interesting because, of course, um, most superheroes are vulnerable to magic. Mm-hmm. It just happened, and and I think that that's one of the things that that makes, to some degree, there's this idea that Superman is rooted in the science hero category and and here's the fun thing of course is that there's so many subcategories yeah science hero um you know uh light fantasy heavy fantasy you know you can you can you can slice and dice science fiction and fantasy into so many different subcategories and, and there quite are frankly, certain from a publishing stories. standpoint that's a very useful thing because you market urban yeah. fantasy or you know high fantasy or, or whatever it is that's a marketing tool for the publisher for the publishers and that's great that 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 you, you know what you're getting yeah. generally speaking um well and there are stories where superman is the scientist uh mm-hmm. especially with with anything that revolves around kendor you know the bottled city and all of that because you know he he has all of this technology and and again you you drift into science fiction with that aspect of it because of the gadgetry and you know the robotics and the 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 shrink ray and the bottled city of Kandor and the Phantom Zone and all of these, you know, your extra dimensional things. Mm-hmm. And I think probably the one, the one area of the Superman mythology that really, really just kind of splits down the middle is McSesbitly. Because he's from the fifth dimension. He's from another dimension. So, so parallel universe, alien, extraterrestrial, who has magic powers? Yeah, <laughs> it's just like hold on. But it goes back to that thing. I think it was Heinlein. You know, one man's magic, one man's science is another man's magic is another man's myth. Where well, and you know, you get it, into whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow. Of mm, course, you yeah. know the the last Superman story, right? Uh, at the time, haha, um, was you know, Mixelplick was essentially an eldritch horror in that comic he wasn't just he wasn't just a magical being from another dimension it was i'm nightmare fuel i'm going to destroy the you know everything and there's you know that's very much rooted in in you know lovecraftian horror and 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 you know uh the fantasy side of of things you don't get you get a lot more crossovers for you know something like someone the character like batman into the more of the horror sphere you don't get a lot of Superman crossing into horror, although um, the Superman alien crossovers 
that we got. Mm. Uh, God, what? Twenty years. Did they ago cross now? over Superman? Yeah. I don't know. They did Batman Alien. Did they do? Did yeah, they do there Alien was a, there, were, there were. I think there were two. I, I want to say there were two Superman Alien series, and they're dark. I mean, they're yeah, they're dark. Um, and I think that, uh, as I recall, he gets actually um, he gets an alien implanted in him, but uh, the physiology, of course, doesn't right. exactly cooperate. And I think that that that's. You know, uh, it's a challenge. It's a challenge with the, <laughs> with a character like Superman to think about them in terms of hard sciences, right? Because yeah. you end up with like, if you think too hard, you end up with Larry Niven's Man of Steel, Woman of Kleenex. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're not familiar with that particular uh, bit of writing from Larry Niven, he actually sat there and went, "Okay, now wait." We have this. We have we have Superman, and Lois Lane, and everything we know about Lois Lane, and she's a perfectly healthy, physically good shape human woman. But nothing extraordinary there aside from from that fact. Right. Superman, on the other hand, um, has certain physical abilities that, at times of let shall we say. Um, less control could be a problem in the standard uh, uh, amorous involvement. Mm, yes. Sex with a Kryptonian and a human would probably be painful and messy. That's basically his, his argument. And he applies biology and physics and what we know about, you know, uh, a lot of different things. And it's like, yeah, Lois is dead. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, well, we know this isn't the case because in the comics, Lois and more than once, uh, and Lois and Clark have had a child. Uh, whether it's been an Elseworld story, the current run, of course, uh, we have uh, all the brouhaha lately has been about yeah, Clark about and Lois' son taking yep. on the mantle of Superman. Um, all these different things. So clearly, but the solution to that has been Superman being exposed to red kryptonite. To make him human, right? So that there's not a, you know, well, and um, and a mess in the in the in you know. There was the where was it? Was it uh, was it an animated episode? I think, yeah, because I think I think I remember this an animated episode where where Superman is fighting Darkseid. I think, and his speech in the midst of the fisticuffs is I'm constantly having to pull my punches and control myself because all of these people around me are tissue paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's one of the greatest moments in, yeah. in the, the justice league animated series. It's, it's a beautiful, it's a, it's a great Superman moment. Yeah. And he looks at dark side. Um, he says, you, I can, I can, I can, I can take you. Let's go. I don't, I don't have to hold back. Yeah. yeah no, it's, um, and of course, we we saw that in in the Superman movies, you know, in, in the Chris Reeve Superman films, where you know the the idea that Superman would give up his powers to be with Lois Lane, and that's the recognition, of course, that as an this human like you know entity, mm-hmm. um, he's not human, and consequently, there has to be some mechanism so that he can actually not hurt Lois, become a 
parent, you know, yeah. to become a, create a family with Lois, that sort of thing. Um, and this, which again, we get into sort of fantasy hand wavium because you ask, uh, you ask, you know, a, a biologist, and they're going to go, no, no, <laughs> he evolved on a different planet. That's that's not how things work. Well, <laughs> and it and it brings to mind, uh, you know, you you look at a character like Spock, for example, and in the lore of the written stories, the mm-hmm. books, the novels, the comic books, all that. Uh, there's room to explore a little bit of that on on in terms of you know a human and a Vulcan and and their physiology and yada yada, and if you go back, there's one particular one. The Vulcan Academy murders gets very specific because there, Amanda is in intensive care because she's had a nerve degener a degenerative nerve disease, and they're treating her with this new experimental thing. And the two doctors that are dealing with all of this, one of them is a human named Corrigan, and the other one is a, is a Vulcan. And they've been working together for years. And through the course of this story, it comes out that they were the, the resident doctors for Sarek and Amanda, and they did the biology, what's it, what's it, science stuff to make it possible for them to have kids. Right. So the scientific, there's medical intervention in order to make this kind of thing happen. Right. You don't have all of that in, in, in the Superman mythology. Like you said, you know, we see in, in Superman 2, for example, where the red sun, the power of the red sun is harnessed in this chamber and it'll take your powers away. You can be hurt as a mortal. You know, and, and all of that. Um, Mazur says, I remember a very specific George Reeves episode where Superman walks through a very thick wall like a ghost by using his power of concentration to rearrange the atoms in his own body. I remember that episode. Barry Allen would like a word. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, Sci-Fi Sci-Fi says, I never got why he has the eye beams. How does that work with the red versus yellow sun? I, I think I saw something here once. <sighs> something, I, and I could be remembering this wrong because I'm old and I don't remember everything with 100% clarity, of course. But I, I want to say it has something to do with the structure of the ocular... nerves and the lens and the rods and cones, all of these different things being physically different from ours enough that it allows him to, to do these things. But I, I could, I could be thinking that wrong. So when, when John Byrne was putting together this, this quote unquote scientific explanation, a lot of it came down to telekinesis, telekinesis. Right. And how a lot of, of Superman's powers were actually um, uh, psionic in nature. They were generated by um, the, the, the Kryptonian brain was actually the source of a lot of these abilities, including the invulnerability, the ability to fly. Um, these were actually a form of, you know. Uh, well, there was also his aura. 
Right, his aura, which, which essentially made him indestructible, yeah. which is why his costume didn't get destroyed, and why his cape could, which yes. made for a nice visual. You could, you could, and and that was such a nice throwaway line from Ma Kent because in that first six part Man of Steel series, when they rebooted the character, when Byrne did that, it's just right off the right off the side. She says, "I've always noticed the the clothes that are right up next to your skin. Nothing ever happens to them," mm-hmm. and it's that whole thing about you know the the electromagnetic aura or whatever of his body that he gives off you know, because of how his body absorbs the solar radiation and he's basically this giant living battery. So, well, and, and I think that, that, that be, you, you have the giant living battery, you have the psychokinesis, you have uh, essentially pyro, the pyro, pyrokinesis yeah. with the heat vision. Um, and so it was, and of course, you get into you get here. You're also in in um, in fantasy territory to a degree. You're you're trying to root it just because you have the word uh, kinesis and ionics <laughs> at the end of something doesn't actually make it science. These these are speculative ideas. And sure. and of course, if you get into your ghost hunting and you get into your your paranormal activity, this is where the telekinesis and, and psionics lives a lot more comfortably than your hard sciences, but there was at least an attempt to sit there and say, okay, there's a reason this happens, but mostly it comes down to the fact he's an alien. Oh, and don't forget his, his powers of hypnosis. So the fun thing about the curtain... One issue, and it's stuck all this time for for people to joke about. The, 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 one of the great things about the Kurt Swan era, so we're looking at really the 50s, 50s and 60s, yeah. Um, was that basically Superman had whatever power the writer wanted him to have <laughs> at that moment. Yeah. I and, I remember the discussion of, you know, because all of the all of the introductions and the essays that were around, you know, the co- the collected editions when they talk about rebooting the character, one of the things that they've talked about in several different places was the fact that by the time Crisis on Infinite Earths happened, Superman, as a character, was so powered in all of these different ways and, and abilities and, and powers and, and things, you couldn't do anything with him. You couldn't tell any interesting right. stories because you couldn't do anything to him. So the the purpose that Byrne had was strip him back down to the basics-ish and start over with, you know, a clean slate. Let's take care of, you know, let's get rid of all the multicolor kryptonites. We've got one kryptonite, it's green, it can kill him. And everything else is gone. And, you know, the, the you know, crypto and all all of the other stuff that, that came with that, Nightwing and Flamebird and Supergirl and Lois Lane Superwoman, all, all that stuff was gone. Now Supergirl eventually comes back. Right. As And, and at this point we have pretty much the Superman family, right? Yeah. Uh, just, just as... Uh, which, of course, was a comic book back in the day. Uh, I keep waiting for them to roll that out now. Since we have we have uh, John Kent, yeah. we have Connor Kent, which, of course, is the the Lex Luthor the clone. Uh, Superman clone yeah. hybrid. Uh, we have, uh, of course, Lois has her own adventures, uh, and and of course, Superman. Um, we've got Crypto, Jimmy. Um, I think we've got we've got a bunch of bunch of characters here. We can certainly do it. Um, interestingly enough, one of the ways that they're treating the dealing with the Superman is too powerful 
is uh, they've got him off world right now, which is why we have John Kent as Superman on Earth. Yeah. But there's also because DC is doing DC is, is leaning into this multiverse thing, right? Pretty hard. And the idea is, of course, we you can have a comic series over here where Superman, this Superman series over here, it you don't have to read it. You can read this one over here and and this, but this is we're we're going to tell a story over here that doesn't impact this story here at all. And so there's a Superman and the Authority series going on right now, which is all which might as well be the sub subtitle of the Redemption of Manchester Black. And if you're not if you're familiar with the character of Manchester Black, he's been. Uh, uh, he was the leader of a group called the Elite, which was itself a pastiche of the Authority back when Wildstorm Comics was a deal. Yeah. And it led to the rather iconic Superman comic. Um, I'm going to say it wrong. What's the matter what's, with... What's so funny about tr- Truth, Justice, the American Way? Right, right. Yeah. And it's the idea that because the, the Authority was... a and I was a fan of the of, of the Authority comic, but it was a very violent, hyper-realistic, yeah. I'm going to wave my hands around when I say that, because uh, it wasn't, but <laughs> um, it was, but it was grim and gritty, right? And, and it was well-written in the early days, and then it went off the rails at the end, but the idea was that this was the new breed of superheroes, right? They're, they were, they were going to take charge and, and change the world, and if you didn't like it, tough. Yeah, and if they had to kill and, somebody, they would. Right. Yeah. And Superman's argument was, uh, no, not really. Yeah. And it led to a, uh, you know, a, I thought it was an extremely well-written comic, and I thought it was a, a good response. Well, Manchester Black is a telepath who's a jerk. He's <laughs> not a nice person. Right, yeah. And the, the Superman and the Authority is basically a Superman who is not well. He is losing his powers. He is much, much weaker. People don't know that, but he does. Mm -hmm. And Manchester Black as a telepath can tell. Um, And Superman goes, says, okay, look, you're awful, but you can, you can do good things. So come with me, be part of this new team I'm going to make, because you know what? I can't do the things I could do. But I can I can bring together a group of people who can do things. We can do things together, and I think it's an interesting twist on the idea because it's, it gives you a Superman who's he looks older. He's got he's graying at the temples. He's it kind of casts your mind a little bit back to Earth Two Superman a little sure. bit. Yep. Um, and so you know the, the first few issues have been interesting. We'll see how it goes. But you know the idea that Superman becoming too too overpowered was really i think you know the the idea that there you can't tell good superman stories that's where that's rooted in right because you could like i said you couldn't you couldn't put him in peril because we had gotten to the point like you said where the writers would come up with whatever power he needed to get out of whatever he was it was almost like a deus ex machina at that point uh, critical brass goes, goes back. RJ was talking about his silver age hypnosis was part of why nobody thought Clark Kent was Superman. He was constantly projecting a smaller, weaker image. Police sketch artists revealed this to him. I have that issue. And One of the many, many ways they hand waved the fact that. <laughs> but it actually, but see, that goes back to an attempt, let's mm-hmm. say, at a scientific ish 
explanation for why the disguise worked. It was like, okay, hold on. You've got somebody, and all he does is put on some glasses and slicks back his hair, and nobody knows who he is. Nobody recognizes him. It's it's it, it's like that that uh, that scene in in the Green Lantern movie, where she looks at him and it's like, how? You know, it's like you just put on a mask and you expect me not to recognize you. And and this thing right. says it was basically, you know. The, the lenses in his glasses, because of his heat vision, melted regular, every ordinary glasses that he had. So what they ended up doing is he fashions a couple of lenses out of the glass from the rocket that brought him to Earth. And because it's Kryptonian glass, it oh, has... Done his hand wavy. Hand wavy. And what it does, and, and that goes kind of back to that whole telekinetic type of thing, only that wasn't a thing yet, because this is back before Crisis, before Byrne did the reboot. And I remember there's this one scene where Superman comes, he's, he's changing into Clark, and Lana Lang walks in, and he's like, oh crap, I've been caught. And she's like, Superman, what are you doing? He's like, wait a minute. Hold on, she's not making the connection. You know, he's got the glasses on, right? And the fact that he's half half in Clark Kent outfit, she sees Superman. And he's like, "Well, you know, my friend Clark said that I could pretend to be him, go under go undercover." And Lana's like, "That's supposed to be Clark?" <laughs> you know, it's like I'm like what's going on here? And then you have the explanation at the end that the, that the lenses in his glasses are are projecting a, a, a hypnotic image to everybody. And it works within the context of the story, but they it, never went back and dealt with it ever again. It was one of those... The problem is, <laughs> if you think about it too hard... Yeah. And, well, and we've had this discussion before. Do not think about any of this stuff too hard. This way lies madness. But here we are doing it anyway. My favorite two explanations for that was the first one, I think from the burn era, was that Superman constantly vibrates a little bit so you yeah. can't get a clear picture. Yeah. He's always a, he always just a hair out of focus, and your brain doesn't catch it, but Clark Kent is very still, and Superman is always moving just a little bit. That's a nice explanation, but my favorite one of all time was when um, Lex Luthor discovers that Superman is Clark Kent. Yes. And he's so angry at himself for not realizing it, but it comes down to one very simple reason. He simply could not believe that anyone like Superman would ever pretend, yeah. pretend, air quotes for the folks who are just listening, to be ordinary. Well, like and Clark Kent can look Clark Kent can look like Superman all he wants, but he yeah. can't be Superman. Not only that, but he was angry at everybody who brought him the evidence, you know, because it's that that whole thing with the the first six issues Man of Steel and then going beyond into that, you had this constant every now and again, you had this this little story thread that was just peppered into various different issues that led to this. We've been collecting mm -hmm. all of this information and all of this data and all these pictures and all this other stuff, and we put it into this big, giant, tokamak-powered computer, 
And the Iraq machine tells us that Superman and Clark Kent are the same kind of are the same person. And Luther rejects it out of hand. He not, not just that he gets because he can't believe this, but he completely rejects it and fires everybody. It's like you guys are incompetent morons. There's no way that he's you know this, the, the, these guys are the same person. And then of course Superman admits to being Clark Kent in the last what two I think about two years ago is when that actually something happened like in real that time. yeah. And and Luther was just like. What? Yeah, but my my favorite my my favorite Lex Luthor, and this is not a well, I guess it is uh, because um, All Star Superman, mm-hmm. you know, highly regarded, highly regarded uh, uh, series. Is that Grant Morrison? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the moment when Lex has the powers of Superman, when he sees and experiences the world like Clark does every second. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, he stops being a supervillain because he, see, it's, he understands the beauty of the universe, the beauty of, of the world that we live in, and the gloriousness of being part of the human experience. I mean, just yeah. he's all all the 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 bitterness and jealousy that drive lex disappear because he sees the world like superman which is this incredibly hopeful moment that rests on the idea that because clark is not human because he sees our world and our universe through alien eyes that's literal alien eyes that see that that pull in information differently that he hears differently than we do that he the the touch of air on his skin is different for him um because he's from somewhere else uh that this kind of just amazing this this hopefulness that's buried at the the you know the core of the idea of superman um, that you know, a, dist- a, a world destroyed can have a survivor. That that survivor can can be saved. That survivor can grow up to be a hero mm-hmm. and an inspiration for the people. There's a lot of hope baked into the idea of Superman in general, obviously. Yeah. But and, the the fact that that just having a taste of that yeah could make Lex Luthor go, I've been wrong the entire time. Well, so and, cool. and that's a point that I made on on Bunker today. We're talking about the core of Superman, even in the in the Elseworlds stories, where you look at something like Red Sun, for example. You look at Speeding Bullets; those are the two that come to mind first. Superman eventually, at the end of those stories, is still Superman. You know, the hopeful, we're going to help humanity type. Even even through Red Sun you see this evolution of him as a character where he's he's looking at the communism, socialism, the whole thing of the Soviet Union, and he's sitting there going, well, why aren't we treating our people better? Why aren't we taking care of the people who live here, our citizens, our, the, the farmers and the workers? And even couched in the whole Soviet Union pastiche, he's still at the core... He's still Superman. And yeah, I, I think- it was one of those things where um, the, the, Bat- the Batman thing 
you know, because everybody talks about Superman is so hard to write for, you know, because he's the alien, right? And the extraterrestrial. And I have maintained for a number of years that out of the Trinity, if you look at Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman is actually the alien. Not necessarily from the standpoint of extraterrestrials, but she's more of an outsider than either Superman or Batman. Because Superman grew up in Kansas. He's an adopted son. He, you know, he grew up here. He was born here. You know, for the, for lack of a better understanding, you know, the, the pod opens up, he's born. He's born in the United States. And Batman, of course, grows up in, in, the, in the urban core. You know, he's in the city where, you know, Clark is from the country. Diana's the one who's the alien who comes to man's world and she's like, what is all of this? Why are you behaving like this? Why are you, what is, oh, uh, yeah. She's got such a, a, a rich potential to be that character that we normally see in science fiction like Spock or Data who's the reflection, right. the reflection character. It's like, why are you people like this? I think that there have been times in, in writing Wonder Woman when they've really leaned into that and I think that We've gotten, I think, unfortunately, unless we were to get a ground up, please don't do this, a ground up <laughs> reboot of everything again. Um, those, those, I think we're past that point for her. Now, the current run of Wonder Woman, basically, they've had her going through um, uh, the pantheon of the various uh, mythological gods. So she's yeah. been to Valhalla. She's been to... You know, she's been all over the place. She's she's interacted with a lot of. And there's because, a big there's a big event coming next year. The whole trial of the Amazons thing for her anniversary for the 80th anniversary is going to yeah. be this. So, big I mean, there's there's, there's there's stuff they're doing there. Um, I think that that when we get into the moments where the writers actually let Superman not have that those bits of hope, mm -hmm. injustice. Of course, yeah. this is this is you know the. The the and and frankly at the end of uh, uh, Snyder's cut of Justice League, the idea that that Superman would be so broken by despair, so mm -hmm. broken by pain or, or rage, that he would become the well, he'd become the thing that you and I have complained about with with one of our biggest issues, Man of Steel, which is the concept of someone with that much power. Flying around, just—I mean, that's it, it, it. The execution was lacking, but the idea behind *Brightburn* is: mm -hmm. what if, you know, what if Superman was a brat, and the <laughs> and extrapolating how terrifying that could be. Yeah. And there's—I can't—I can't remember what the name of the series are, but there were two series set in World War II. They were Elseworld series, and it was sort of a a more quote-unquote grounded version uh essentially the uh dr midnight and the bat these are these were code names and mm -hmm. and there there was a, it was a lot less superheroes involved but there was a agent they worked with who turned out to be a nazi who was that universe's version of clark okay and so he was this super powered and it was it was like okay there, there's a nightmare fuel thought right there. Right. 
and we've had those versions, those alternate versions, the Mare Universe versions, the Earth Three versions, where Superman is evil. But the it, it it's much more when you when you put it in this much more gra- gra- semi grounded universe, um, and, and and of course, Superman is a Nazi is, is mm, yeah, not a feeling <laughs> you want to uh, we want to keep around. But it was really disturbing because of course our heroes are looking at this going, how do you beat somebody like this? We're yeah. only human. Yeah. And this wasn't this wasn't the Batman of the modern era who's got forty thousand plans and you know uh, it, this this was this is a much more uh, a limited character so mm. it, it made for a more challenging storyline which is great but at the same time uh, it's it's a very dark image that it's it's really hard. Um, well, and and Mazur's makes a good point. If you left Superman too powerful, the entire rest of the Justice League would be redundant, and there there is some aspect of that. But you also have, um, you also have this idea uh, of Batman having a plan to stop every single member of the Justice League if it comes to that. Because again, and this this kind of leans into what what we got from Man of Steel because of the paranoia about what would happen if this super-powered alien suddenly decided that he was going to be in charge. And Man of Steel leans real heavily into the science fiction aspects. Mm-hmm. You know, the War of the Worlds, the day the Earth stood still. There, there are those echoes in Man mm-hmm. of Steel. And it doesn't work as well for me. Because it's too grounded. And we've talked about this, you know, the physics of it and the destruction and everything else and how many people are dead and whatnot. And although there there are moments in that film where if you if you take some of the things in isolation, the fact that the Kryptonians, you know, Zod and, and, and Thora and the other ones, when they're exposed to Earth's atmosphere, when they uh when their when their suits are are opened up their reaction how their bodies are suddenly reacting to you know this getting this yellow sun radiation Mm -hmm. and and that's really i thought that was really interesting it's like it's almost like being very very sick because the flip side is clark goes up and he's exposed to the kryptonian atmosphere and since he's been a child he's adapted to earth's atmosphere it's a i really liked that idea of it's a different atmosphere it's a different environment and the their bodies are reacting to that mm-hmm, right um but but so, i mean there's the argument there's nothing inherently wrong with the argument of grounding superman the way that snyder did in man of steel the downside is is that if you take it to its extreme point it's its logical extension um you you're staring directly at the thing that yeah. you don't want to stare directly at um I mean, you don't want to do that with Batman because then you have someone who's clearly mentally ill. He dresses up as a bat and (laughs) runs around the roofs of Gotham. He's not mentally healthy. He needs serious medication. Okay. He beats up people with mental illnesses 
all the time. This is a menace to society, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right, <laughs> right. right. So don't you know, don't stare directly at this stuff. Don't think about the fact that Barry Allen, unless you if you don't bring in the speed force, Barry Allen should be burning his skin off every time he runs fast because of friction. I mean, except you know. Well, and and, and they science they science that away with the fa- the fabric that he wears as the suit. Uh huh. Yeah, uh-huh. that amazing magic that fabric micro that, that microfiber that fits in the ring suit. Barry Allen, who should be the richest <laughs> man alive, as opposed to the fastest man alive, because in, if he can invent that stuff in a police pathology lab, yeah, he's the richest man on the planet. So, in closing, we'll say that Superman is mostly science fiction with some fantasy elements, or would you say so, he's fifty-fifty? So the thing is, is that there is actually there's that subcategory called science fantasy. Yeah, and and that in many ways it's kind of cheating, right? A little um, bit, but 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 also think about what else falls into science fantasy. Star, Star Wars. Wars falls yep. into science fantasy. Okay, you've got spaceships. And you've got the Force. You've got the Flash Gordon. Some of the greatest, mm. some of the greatest science fiction characters. Uh, John Carter. John Carter. You know, the yeah. Princess of Mars series. Um, a lot of great stuff falls into the science fantasy thing. Uh, um, Doc, Doc, Doc Savage. A lot of the pulp oh, heroes yeah, yeah. fall the, into the science. The Shadow. Uh, the Phantom. A lot of the... And, and to some degree, this this is the basis of the comic book world as it is. The idea that you're you're taking, you know, you, when you consider that basically uh, Superman's story, you know, two two Jewish writers create based on the story of Moses mm-hmm. this character, and and they give him the ability to fly, and, and so there's a certain amount of there's wish fulfillment, and there's also cultural. Uh, 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 heritage and and all these things mixed in, you end up with something that is, but it's strange visitor for another planet. It's the science yeah. fiction stuff, right? But it's it's very much realmed in in the world of myth. And and we more than one writer has sat there and said that our superheroes are are demigods, are the yeah. they're 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 the modern myth, they're the modern pantheon, and and DC Comics leans into that with. You know the the idea that that the these are are modern uh, well, mythological Marvel gods. Marvel does it as well, uh, and I think Marvel probably leans into more the flawed gods aspect as opposed to DC having the the heroic. You know, although um, I, I although to some degree, I think that that's one of the things for all the brouhaha about um, the the John Kent Superman title. Mm. It's one of the things they're trying to lean into because they've, they've taken Superman off planet. So you can have this, this adventure that he's doing with uh, fighting Mongol and, and tracking down what may be some Kryptonian survivors. Yeah. So there, there you've got Superman off in space, having a science fiction adventure and you've got uh, an untested Superman. And I think they're leaning into a little bit of the stuff we saw in future state where Superman, the the public has a very mixed opinion mm. of uh, he's the jump forward into future state was supposed to be something that was going to tie into the whole five G thing, right? They, yeah, it was supposed they, to be this big massive 
project. But some of those elements have continued on and have been reworked to continue on to these current storylines. And the John Kent Superman stuff is, is part of that. So the idea there being that you have the ability to tell this different kind of Superman story with someone who has all the powers of Superman, but isn't Clark Kent, right? Yeah. Pros and cons of that. Um, but that's more of a... That's less of a science story. And I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be a lot more in the in the I don't know superhero fantasy story here mm-hmm. in because that stuff seems to be more earthbound. Yeah. You know, Superman's got the he's he's got the science fiction adventure over here. <laughs> Pick up those comics and, and and see him fight aliens. Um but um I think I think that there's the beauty of Superman is that in the hands of the right writer and turns out there's a lot of those <laughs> i think over the years there have been quite a few right writers for superman right. and some who didn't necessarily get it and that's fine it, it can't get it right all the time um but you can tell you can you can you can do science fantasy with them you can do hard science fiction um you can have superman in a spaceship flying around it's happened it's been done yeah um you can have superman uh brainiac you know, fighting yeah, you can you can have Superman fighting Mixelbook and and dancing to the edge of of you know straight up high fantasy and and still have fun with it. Um, and it, there's a lot to the character. Whoever you know, and I think that the, uh, DC doesn't always get things right. We know this. <laughs> True. Oh, um, Pshaw. I have I have some news. <laughs> they have made some unforced errors at yes. times. Um, but the thing is, is that I think one of the things they're doing really smart right now is with not tying things so tightly into continuity that you have no room to move mm-hmm. as a creative team. Yeah. The fact that you can have like six different Superman titles running right now that all tell very different kinds of stories. Right, where you can see Superman from a different angle, whether it's whether it's a young, untested one in John, or Superman off in you know fighting Mongol, or Superman with the Authority, or Superman and Batman, you know, doing the world's finest kind of thing. They do they, the series they've got now. Then actually, it um, looks pretty interesting. Although I I have my doubts about whether whether Wade can pull it off. I will. I, you know, he's I not have, the writer he used to be. I have enjoyed a good chunk of the current Superman titles. Um, the John Kent one is connecting less with me. And I think part of that comes from the fact that I'm 51. Mm-hmm. It's I lived through that point in my life that that's the core of the story. Yeah. <clears throat> several decades ago. But you know well, what? For, for it's not aimed at you. Well, it, it, to some degree, it's not because no. if it's aimed at if it's aimed at a twenty year old audience or a thirty year old audience, I think if I was thirty, it might connect with me more because it's, it would be closer. Um, and I, I, I don't I don't think it's poorly written, by the way. I um, I just it doesn't have the same it doesn't connect with me the same way that some some other titles are. I don't mm-hmm. think it's bad. That's that's my personal opinion. You guys can disagree. That's fine. Um, but it also doesn't have the. Uh, I'm not. I'm not excited about it, in the same way that I'm excited about other titles. 
But to be fair, I'm not excited about the Robin title either because I'm kind of bored with the whole tournament storyline that's going on in there right now. Yeah. And that's, I just, well, and, and I know true. we're at the, we're at the end of our hour. We haven't even talked about the, the Batman uh, trailer. You know, I talked about it a little bit today and I just, I'm looking at this one like, okay, it's a trailer for a Batman movie. You know, I, I can't, I, I find myself at the older that I get with all of these franchises I, I find myself not getting really hyped and excited about any of I it. The, I think the problem you've got there is the problem, maybe the problem I have there, in that the film is being described as being a detective story. Yes. And the tra- the, how we make trailers. <laughs> okay, it's a, it's a Batman movie. It's a superhero movie. That's a certain model of trailer. Yeah. And quite frankly, that's not a detective movie trailer model. And I think that. Uh, yeah, it looks this, it looks no different from anything that Nolan or Snyder did. And quite frankly, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It looks like a polished, interesting take on Batman. Yeah. Great. But just not. Yeah, different. I, I, I want to yeah. see more of the detective aspect Um and I'm, my hope is is that the film that we get has all these great action sequences. Uh, yeah, I'm hopeful, uh, cautiously. But uh, you know, seeing oh, the yeah. trailer, I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, this is run a mill. And it could very well be that's that's what it is, where you have the trailer has to be certain things. Yeah, but mean, there's a, there's a, uh, I don't know. There's a model. It's not yeah, a great one, but I I, it, it's still better than the 1980s when you could watch the trailer for Star Trek Two and go, "I've seen the movie now." Mm. Thanks, guys. Well, uh, Mazur has mentioned the Keaton trailer. trailer, the the Flash trailer, and that one that one has me a little bit more intrigued just because, because it's a teaser. It's a teaser, and you hear Michael Keaton with the narration, you know, his his voice oh. in the voiceover. And you get. They don't show you. Much. I know. I know. And I'm thinking, okay. Now we do get a we do get a look at two different flashes, two different Barry Allens. We get him going home to see his mother. So yeah, mm-hmm. okay, that tracks with the Flashpoint stuff. And and we saw Supergirl, in this trailer. She's standing there behind behind Barry with the other Barry. But we don't get to see very much of Michael Keaton. You see the the back of the cowl, and the cowl's like that's it. Well, and the, and then like Mazaria says, it's the bat the Batmobile tease, which yes. I have to tell you, <laughs> I have to tell you, I was like, you bastard, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. And I was just like, it was so close, so yeah. close. Yeah. But I was just like, oh, okay, fine. No, I, I get why they did. No, it was a, but, it was a very well crafted, clever trailer, and frankly. Of between that trailer, Shazam, and the Batman trailer, while I appreciated getting a longer, more in-depth trailer for Batman, like he, like we've been saying, it, it doesn't have the mystery that I want to yeah. see right now, considering that's how they're telling me that it is. Um, the I really enjoyed the fact that they were... Uh, the Rock is well known for being a comedic presence on screen mm-hmm. right and um black adam of course generally speaking generally not played for less no so seeing this trailer and going okay 
we're gonna go with the anti-hero darker thing like great fantastic i like the way it looks all right nice job giving me a taste yeah i'm interested uh, but the flash trailer was of those three yeah. the flash trailer was actually my favorite the the idea here with the batmobile it it brings to mind when we got that first when we got the first teaser for the force awakens mm-hmm. and the first time you see the millennium falcon in the force awakens teasers right Oh, yeah. Still catching the throat. Yeah. Weird feeling right about here. But it's one of those yeah. things where it's like, no, we have to go see this in the movie theater. Mm-hmm. Not on your not on your computer screen. And, you know, it's it's one of those things that when 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 we see, like Mazur says, the Burton Batmobile on screen again, that's going to be a fun, a fun moment. So anyway, all right. So speaking of Star Wars, I uh, just want to remind everybody this programming note. Uh, Mac, Mac is back. She is hosting again Salacious Crumbs, our Star Wars news program, at a new day and time, Sundays now, 5 p.m. Eastern, 4 Central. We just had one drop uh, yesterday, uh, number 123. So go check that out if you haven't already. Uh, and uh, welcome McKenna back to the fold. She's uh, we've we've had to to make some adjustments in schedules because she's back in school and and doing some stuff. So we've got to we've got to adjust accordingly. But go check that out and uh, leave a comment and and share your thoughts on the various different things that we discuss. You can send us feedback here either by email h two o at sci fi free dot com. Or a comment if you're if you're here in replay, uh, and if you have just discovered the channel, some people have. You're more than welcome around here. We do invite you to subscribe, have your notifications turned on, and we'll do all this next week. Again, good Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. So we'll see. Let's see. What, when does Dune come out? The twenty second of October. Right. The twenty well, the twenty first is preview night, Thursday nights. It's on HBO Max the twenty first. Which potentially means you and I could see it before next Oh Wednesday. yeah, that's that's this weekend, isn't it? That's Friday. I'm not gonna say it's gonna happen, folks, because like I said at the beginning, I've got a conference that I'm prepping for, and my we'll, my schedule gets weird. We'll put a but pin in it and see if we can happen. Yeah, that would maybe be maybe we talk do next weekend. That would be nice because I'm champing a bit on that. One. I know. I've heard a lot of good stuff about it. So and I'm, I'm I've, I've got that part of my brain going, okay, you know how things get adapted. You know, mm, things mm. don't, you know, don't, <laughs> right. don't let the hype get right. to you. Cause you know, yeah. All right. right. We'll see if we can, if we can pull that off and, and uh, you, you will see if we pull it off, you bring, you know, come back next week and find out. All right, that's going to do it for us. Thanks very much for being here, everyone. Have a good week. Have a good night. Good night, guys. Thanks for listening. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.